Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, October 20th, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, U.S. House Republicans' efforts to elect a new speaker continue to bear no fruit. Donald Trump once again campaigns in Iowa, and one Eastern Iowa congressional campaign finally gets a Democratic candidate. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me this week are the full roster, and we're back all with you after a week off. We have Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Hello, Tom. Hello, Aaron. Lead Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough is here. Hello, Caleb. Hello, Aaron. We have Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Greetings, Sarah. Go Hawks, Aaron. You've been waiting for that one, haven't you? I have no recollection of what reference you might be making. Um, uh, My Sunday was spent at uh, musical rehearsal and nothing else. Or Saturday, I mean. See, I can't even remember what day it was. Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal is here. Hello, Jared. Aaron, I'm I'm queuing up for a third screening of the Eras Tour, so let's let's make this snappy. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, we have Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Hello, Todd. Hey, how's it going? Uh, well, it was going great until Sarah reminded me about the Badger game, but thank you for asking, Todd. That was um, a hell of a game. We, you want to talk about that up front? I, I do not. I very much do not. <laughs> I appreciate the question, though. And, and by the way, question time is now over. We are now moving on to the agenda. Uh, all right. First up this week, we are now into week three of U.S. House paralysis. After a small group of House Republicans voted to oust former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, within the 16 days and counting since, House Republicans have been unable to coalesce around a new speaker. Uh, Caleb, you've been following this story all week, and uh, things got a little interesting and then got a little hairy for uh, one of Iowa's congresswomen. Uh, give us a quick roundup. I know a lot's been going on. Uh, give us a roundup of the past week or so, and uh, and then I'm also curious of what your sense of what comes next. Yeah, so when the House took their first vote on Tuesday, all four of Iowa's Republican uh, Congress members voted for Jordan. He was the um, speaker designate for the Republicans. He had won the, the conference vote um, last week. Uh, Marionette Miller-Meeks seemed to be on the fence about it that morning. She hadn't given really a definitive answer of how she would vote. Um, she had some criticisms for the way that uh, Jordan's allies had tried to pressure uh, Republicans to support him. Um, and uh, later she said that, you know, even though she had those concerns, she uh, she spoke to Jordan, he addressed them, and she um, honored her commitment, is the way she put it, to, to vote for the, for the person who won that conference vote um, on the first ballot. But then, uh, you know, fast forward to Wednesday, um, it was kind of, uh, uh, this is all secondhand from the from the people who are on Capitol Hill and, and talking to all these members, but it seemed like uh, Miller Meeks had been... Um, uh, what was was possible that she was going to change her vote? And I, I mean, I, I, I had a quick interview with her on Tuesday, and um, definitely was not committing to voting for Jordan the second time. But she also didn't um, give any, you know, indication of what her plan was. Um, so uh, on Wednesday, she uh, voted for she cha- did change her vote. She voted for Kay Granger. Uh, she's a Republican from Texas and the chair of the Appropriations Committee. Um, nobody else voted for Granger, and like all these other anti-Jordan votes, it was more of a protest vote than a serious alternative. Um, Granger herself voted for somebody else, not Jordan. Um, so then, a few hours later, um, and and that so that was uh, what happened then. And Jordan lost his second vote by even more. Uh, Twenty-two Republicans voted against him. Um, a few hours later, that same day, uh, Miller Meeks put out a statement that she had received credible death threats. She said over her vote. 
Um, she said she had reported them to the police, uh, but didn't offer many more details beyond that. Um, she's not the only one at this point, uh, another Republican, and now his name is escaping me, um, but also said he received death threats for his for no vote. And, and, I'm, and I would not be surprised if they're not the only ones um, based yeah. on, you know, some, I, I, I saw that uh, John Bacon of, of Nebraska, his wife was receiving like texts, maybe like, like, uh, you know, threatening texts of, of saying, of trying to influence him through his wife, I guess. Um, anyway, she, she said uh, Miller makes also in that statement renewed her criticism of Jordan's allies using uh, some sort of bullying tactics to try to win over support um, and said she wants to find a consensus candidate. Seems like that person sh that she wants is probably not Jim Jordan. Uh, and now we are at about three o'clock on Thursday and there hasn't been another vote for speaker or to do anything else in the house. And it seems like nobody really knows what is happening next. Uh, as of earlier today, it seemed like, oh, they'll maybe they'll take a vote to empower Patrick McHenry, who's the speaker pro tem to uh, take some, to be able to, bring up legislation and move legislation and do the business of the house um seems like there's some resistance to that now and i latest i am seeing before we jumped on here is that there's talk of of taking another vote on jim jordan um on his speakership uh tonight yeah and the likelihood that that passes is um i'm gonna say pretty low uh the likelihood that that he loses more votes is higher than the likelihood of passing so interested in seeing how it goes but that that's about where we're at at this point yeah, I wanted to ask you real quick. Um, I, I didn't find this out for myself or, or whether she even said, as you noted, it was just a, a protest vote, so it doesn't matter. But I'm just curious. Miller Meeks's vote for um, the Texas Congresswoman um, Granger, was that the last name? Did I remember yeah. that right? Well, what, why her? What, did she ever say why She did her say. I, I'll have to pull up her uh, her statement. But essentially, she said, because she's been a a strong advocate of passing appropriations bills mm, and, okay. uh, you know, fiscal responsibility. Uh, here we go. Because she has demonstrated a great leadership this year by bringing forth and passing fiscally responsible single subject appropriations bills and is a staunch conservative. Okay. That's why she, yeah. Okay. I, I just wondered if it was something like, uh, she's my uh, Euchre partner on Thursday nights. And so when I decided to protest vote, I, I just threw yeah. it her way. Um, I did like so, how some of them were getting creative with uh, the John Boehner vote. Um, somebody who the past speaker who's no longer in the House. A lot of Republicans from New York voted for Lee Zeldin, who is also not in the House and ran for New York governor um, unsuccessfully. So people were getting uh, they were having fun with it, I suppose. And I, I was going to say that nobody voted for Donald Trump, but I guess the people who would have cast a wink and nod vote for Donald Trump were voting for Jim Jordan in the right. fastening him right so <laughs> you, you weren't gonna have those ones um all right so that last bit todd from caleb sounded awfully uh foggy and and uh a lot of unknowns and and i'll reiterate what caleb said this is as we sit here and record at 3 p.m on thursday so depending on when uh, you're listening to this who knows what has happened uh in the time since uh but todd um there might actually be two minds about this. So let me ask you, is it a good thing or a bad thing that the U.S. House has not been able to operate for multiple weeks now? Well, I, you know, I watched a lot of Schoolhouse Rock as a kid, and, and it seemed that they those cartoons suggested very strongly that a, a functioning government is probably <laughs> what we ought to have. So, you know, the, the bill's not only sitting on Capitol Hill, it's like, you know, it's it's, you know, back in some someone's the idea in someone's head somewhere in Oregon or something it's not even it's not even drafted there's no one to draft it but uh 
Yeah, I mean, I and then you throw in the uh, an international crisis, yeah. you know, with the the Hamas attack in Israel and the threats of that becoming a regional war, and everybody's daggers drawn, and you you know, at at, at best, I mean, you could the House could pass you know some sort of resolution authorizing the president to use you know these particular means or that to provide this much financial assistance or humanitarian aid which biden's already promised i guess but uh yeah i mean there's just you can't do anything <laughs> i mean yeah. you know you, you well and what it, it leads to is it, it further erodes legislative authority which is already eroded quite a bit in washington and it it leaves the president to start you know issuing executive orders which republicans don't like but I mean, you can't just stand by and let let a crisis go unattended because these guys accidentally blew up every bridge across the river, and now they don't know how the hell to get to the other side. So, I mean, it's it's I I don't know I don't know that there's anyone they can settle on. I, I mean, it it's just you know I you know there's this there'll be other candidates I'm sure because he's he's going to fail again if they vote a third time, mm. and I I mean. And then there's the whole question: Who 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 would want the job? Yeah. I mean, the the concessions you have to make to the Freedom Caucus are. I mean, well, look, well, all you have to do is look at what happened to Kevin McCarthy. So, yeah, uh, I would rather have a functioning government, but uh, you know, I don't always get what I want <laughs> in politics. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think you nailed it. It's obviously not a a good thing at all but especially at a time with multiple international crises um taking place and it's it's i i think you raised a really good point there at the end todd that uh who knows where the end is uh at, at, that's where the uh off-ramp is because with the slim majority that they have you've got just enough people on the ultra conservative uh wing of the body that aren't gonna vote for you know the the however you want to call it, centrist or moderate candidates. And, and you've got just enough of those folks, clearly, who aren't going to vote for the, uh, you know, the bomb throwers. Uh, so I, I don't know who the person is uh, in, in the middle or, or, or how they get to um, a, a point where they have 217 uh, votes. It, it's going to be interesting. Does anybody think there's any chance that... Democrats and Republicans, like the moderates of each party would come together for a, for a candidate, or is that just out of the Man, question? My, that's a good question. Go ahead, Todd. I was going to say it's, you know, it's entirely possible that something like that could happen the closer you get to the November deadline for a government shutdown, because that's, that may be when cooler heads have to prevail at this point, they can do what they're doing, it, it, which is an embarrassment. That's all it is. And but but at that point, it's going to be shutting down the government, uh, you know, just before the holidays. And and so, yeah, I think by that point, you may see some sort of consensus emerge. But, yeah, right now there's no Democrats are in no mood to do it because I think they're sort of enjoying the dysfunction. It seems like Democrats may be open to um, empowering Patrick McHenry to to keep things moving um, in the interim until. Uh, while Republicans work on trying to get a um, consensus candidate, but as far as um, yeah, a moderate Democrat or Republican consensus candidate, I don't I don't see them doing that. Well, and part of the reason that's difficult to conceive of too is that you have um, an entire news uh, outlet that uh, is basically uh, campaigning for uh, particular candidates to get the uh, the speaker's job. 
So that uh, that really wouldn't help any moderate Republicans that wanted to to make a deal either. I think uh, Brian Kilmeade called uh, Don Bacon a jackass uh, yesterday on on Fox for for voting for McCarthy. So that does that doesn't yeah, help deal making. <laughs> and that was even something um, Miller Meeks mentioned was uh, Sean Hannity getting involved in in the in the fight and like threatening to pri primary, uh, you know, or. Of certain members and like I mean he was texting people it's just and then I, I was reading an article that he you know was saying something on the show like oh this, I, I'm a journalist and I'm you know questioning these these congressional members and it's like it just seems like it's I mean obviously but it's such a different thing when you're like trying to root for one guy and like like it, it, uh, in, it, it, exerting that much influence over a thing as like a member of the media it's just crazy I'm just questioning them as a journalist is that yeah that's that's basically what he said. Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. That, that yep. is that. Is so, let me sit down from that spin. Holy moly! <laughs> uh, that reminds me of a tweet I saw yesterday of someone complaining about one of the sentences for the January Sixers, and they said all of this over a broken window. <laughs> Holy! Oh, a broken window is doing some heavy lifting there. <laughs> AKA destruction of our nation's capital uh it's all about the phrasing oh my goodness okay moving on to the campaign trail where things are much more sane and normal this will this will go much better um former and hoping to again be president donald trump was back in iowa earlier this week for a couple events in the des moines area trump was in dallas county which in recent years has grown into an area of the state has become a sort of new political battleground as as um iowans move around and, and political ideologies are kind of meshing in that area um and there was also a lot kind of going around kind of the periphery of of this event and this visit uh uh caleb we're, we're with you here again because you covered trump's visit so so tell us about not just the event itself but but all the things that were going on around this yeah, so it was a really newsy visit. I mean, he's been here four or five times in the last two months in it. Um, you, you never know if it's going to be, uh, you know, just kind of a quick touchdown and out. But, uh, you know, he um, announced a strict expansion of his travel ban and immigration policies that he enacted as president. Um, he said he would not accept taking refugees from Gaza, the Palestinian enclave that's been uh, bombarded by Israel since the Hamas attack on October 7th. Um, he's, you know, went further uh, saying he would deport terrorist sympathizers or people who support Hamas, um, including people on student visas on college campuses. Uh, he said that he would uh, implement a ideological screening for um, immigrants that includes, uh, you know, uh, not allowing in people who are terrorist sympathizers, people who support the abolition of the state of Israel or communist, Marxists, or fascists, I think was the wording he used. Um, and then beyond that, uh, he was he announced at his first visit in Adele that he had been uh, the, the endorsement of, of Brenna Byrd, Iowa's attorney general. She's the uh, highest ranking Iowa official that has endorsed Trump. And I think um, the only other than Robbie Smith, the treasurer who has endorsed Vivek Ramaswamy, the only statewide elected Republican who's endorsed. Um, so that is a pretty big win for him in that regard. Uh, and and yeah, so she she uh, welcomed him to the stage in both uh, settings and, and got a bit pretty big uh, round of applause there. Um, he also mentioned when he it was uh, hours after the, uh, New York or sorry, a judge in D.C. Um, implemented a gag order on uh, him for uh, in a in the federal case and his efforts to overturn the election. 
Um, he said he can't, he's not allowed to talk about or publicly target potential witnesses, the judge, special counsel, Jack Smith, or um, court personnel. So uh, he talked about that a little bit and, you know, said they're trying to silence me, weaponizing the Justice Department. Um, but he said he would appeal it. Uh, so I, I don't know. I haven't been following too closely whether that's happened yet or not. But um, can definitely... I just jump? Can I just jump in, in really quick? Quote, unquote, they're trying to silence me. I mean, that's partially true, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, <laughs> he, he has silenced on certain specific <laughs> topics. Yes. OK, sorry. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, and 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 uh, that was definitely something that was not um, received well by the crowd or received well that he criticized it, I suppose. But yeah, that, that was um, uh, a good, uh, I guess, the the highlights of, of this trip. Yeah, there was a lot going on there. Um, and you mentioned the um, endorsement, and, and thank you. I, I thought there was one other one, and I couldn't think of it off the top of my head, and you're right about Robbie Smith um, endorsing um, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, giving him the millennial seal of approval there. Um, Jared, uh, we talk so often on the podcast about how much or, or maybe it'd be more accurate to say how little endorsements matter to voters. Attorney General Byrd is the just the second statewide Republican to endorse a candidate in this caucus cycle, certainly the highest profile, uh, with all due respect to the treasurer's office. Um, is is an AG Byrd's endorsement enough to move the needle for anyone, or, or is the boilerplate answer stand? Yeah, um, it's hard to think her endorsement will move the needle for a couple of reasons. Um, she's in her first year on the job, for one. She beat Tom Miller by less than a point, if I remember correctly. Um, and, you know, there there have been a lot of different cases she's been involved with since where she's tried to kind of shore up some credibility with voters. But I don't know if all of that is enough yet for her to make some to become some kind of like conservative kingmaker in the state. And, you know, the other thing, too, a little bit is there isn't necessarily a surprise element to this. Like if you told me she was uh, about to import, uh, endorse but didn't know who, like Trump would have been my guess. You know, she used to be on Steve King's staff and King, of course, was the fondest of Trump of anyone in the Iowa delegation. So I, I think between the this kind of being expected in terms of who she was going to endorse and the fact that she's only been here for a year now and her job is AG, it's hard to think that this will will do much. And I mean, you know, it doesn't matter too much anyway when you're Trump and you're already leading by so much in the state. <laughs> Right. He doesn't need uh, much needle moving. Um, I, real quick, uh, while we're still on the uh, caucus front, uh, before we move on to another topic, uh, we've got another multi-candidate event coming up this weekend. Congresswoman Miller Meeks uh, is holding a fundraiser that will feature uh, seven of the candidates, I believe. Tom, is that right? Fact check me if I'm wrong. Yes, if I if I can count, I believe that's correct. Okay, well, that's a big F as we get this close to the weekend I know, it's for, a large for F, any of us. <laughs> um, so we'll obviously talk about that. That's on uh, Saturday. We'll obviously talk a little bit more about that on next week's podcast. But uh, uh, just to give it a kind of a quick little sneak preview here, uh, Tom, uh, give me a, a tease of what you'll be looking for from the candidates uh, this weekend. Um, I guess... Uh, the, the the biggest kind of storyline that I'll be uh, paying attention to um, is the one between uh, DeSantis and Haley. Mm -hmm. um, so you you look at the momentum um, and some of the shifts there, um, particularly when you look at Haley overtaking DeSantis and pulling in New Hampshire, um, pulling in seconds. Um, she's also pulling seconds in South Carolina. 
Um, so, you know, the, the, the momentum seems to be trending in her favor right now, both when you look at polling, um, when you look at fundraising, um, you know, there was national reporting out of a, um, uh, influential, uh, GOP donor in Florida, um, pulling out of backing DeSantis, um, and now says that, uh, he plans to, uh, to, to black Haley. Um, so, you know, I'll be interested in um, looking at how much enthusiasm, uh, support, attention um, Haley gets from the crowd compared to DeSantis. Um, you know, again, you look at the national reports saying that um, he's bleeding donors and that supporters are, are losing interest. Um, you know, I'll be looking to see, um, excuse me, <laughs> sorry. Um, so I'll be looking to see how much enthusiasm there is for DeSantis um, among the crowd. Is he is is he still engaging? Is he is he still um, energetic? Um, does he go after Haley and continue some of the attacks that um, we've seen from him in New Hampshire um, in in more recent camp campaign events where he's criticized her about her stance related to the ongoing conflict in Israel and Gaza, um, and particularly, um, you know, criticizing and, and, and at times mischaracterizing her support for um, accepting refugees from Gaza. Haley, uh, again, you know, be interesting to see how much she plays up for her foreign policy experience and credentials especially in light of the, the situation right now in Gaza and Israel. Um, another thing I'll be looking or trying to pay attention to is um, Vivek Ramaswamy. He made a splashy debut at the first Republican presidential debate. His contrarian aggression won him outsized attention, but he's facing questions about his youth and his lack of political experience. Does he have staying power, you know, or is his campaign... Um, a flash in the pan, as some in the national media, um, you know, are kind of portraying it to be. Um, can he prove that his policy platform is substantive, um, even as it's constantly evolving? And will he keep up his attacks on Nikki Haley over Israel? I believe last week he said that Haley should be disqualified from being president, accusing her of, of personal conflicts of interest. That seems to be an apparent reference to, I guess, her business ties and, and claiming that um, she has a, a hawkish neoconservative vision that he worries is going to lead us to, to prolong conflict in war. Um, so, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how these candidates start going after one another yeah. and, and trying to jockey and kind of consolidate um, support uh, as, you know, we get closer and closer to the January 15th Iowa caucuses. Yeah. Th these are such a snapshot and in, in, in snapshots in time of the race. And, and we're kind of at an interesting point in the campaign right now. So I, I, I it'll be interesting to see all those things that you talked about um, this weekend. Um, Aaron, would you like a, a fun fact about the, the state of the race? Ooh, I would very much love it, Jared, please. Here's a, here's a fun numbers fact. Uh, since the beginning of the year, since January 1st until now, um, the amount that Trump has gone up in the polls is more than what Nikki Haley is currently pulling at. <laughs> so he's he's his numbers have increased more than her 
straight number. Yep, polling average for right. na- polling national average. polling average. National, national polling, polling average. average. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as we keep saying, uh, um, man, everything Tom said is true, but it's still it's still a competition for a distant second place unless someone can magically pull all those together. And and then as we've also talked about, even then it's still um, a Trump lead, even if you put everybody else's all added well, up. And Tom, another thing you mentioned uh, with Haley and DeSantis going after each other, that doesn't benefit anyone but Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, 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 I get it. You know, they got, you got to step on the, the rung where you are in order to keep getting to other rungs and get to the top of the ladder. So I get it. But you're but you're right, Jared. I mean, and and nobody's nobody's going after the person that they need to catch. They're all going after each other. The Trump campaign just has to be wearing out the recline button on their recliners. And I assume those are automatic. I would have said recliner handle, uh, but I assume the Trump campaign's recliners are automatic. And I mean, at the Trump rally I was at this week uh, and this may not expand to people who don't want to vote for Trump, but Trump supporters don't think that he, I mean, they, they like his foreign policy and they think that he, you know, is going to keep us out of World War III. I heard that multiple times and that, you know, people say there were no wars while, while Trump was president um, that the U.S. was involved in. And uh, he he kind of points to that on stage. You know, he says he says that he uh, he the reason Putin Putin would have invaded Ukraine because, you know, I threatened to bomb him and he believed me 10 percent. You know, he says things like that. And and people, um, you know, I think people, his his voters believe that and, and they're they, they think he um is gonna, you know, they they approve of the more um, isolationist policy versus the hawkish policy that um, that Haley is definitely uh, veering toward. Yep. All right. Moving on to the congressional elections. Next year's election in Eastern Iowa's second congressional district finally has a Democratic candidate. Uh, Tom, you wrote about that this week. So tell about tell us about this uh, new candidate who's a, a pretty new face, as far as I'm aware, anyways, on the Iowa political seen um at least beyond locally um and uh and then whether this district uh which we're talking about republican incumbent ashley henson uh whether that campaign is expected to be competitive uh so you're correct um cedar falls community leader and small business owner sarah corkery uh announced tuesday that she'll seek the democratic nomination in iowa's second congressional district as you mentioned, setting up a potential challenge to Republican incumbent U.S. Rep. uh, Ashley Henson of Marion. Corkery is a first-time candidate and a two-time breast cancer survivor. She said that she's running to expand access to affordable health care, lower prescription drug costs, uh, strengthen gun safety laws, and help farmers modernize their business. Uh, She said she was spurred to run for the Northeast Iowa U.S. House seat after Henson declined to sign on as a co-sponsor to bipartisan legislation that would give metastatic breast cancer patients access to support and medical care used sooner than current law allows. So the bill, which was introduced by Iowa uh, GOP U.S. Senator um, uh, Joni Ernst, uh, would it would waive a, a five-month waiting period for Social Security disability insurance and a 24-month waiting period for Medicare benefits for um, eligible individuals with metastatic breast cancer. Um, So Corkery, who said that she's worked on national lobbying efforts to raise money for breast cancer research, said that that legislation would do away with unnecessary waiting periods and ensure that patients could get uh, the care they need in their fight against breast cancer. And well, I should point out, Henson's office said that she is supportive of that legislation 
and plans to sign on as a co-sponsor. But Corkery used that as an example to criticize Henson's voting record more broadly, including Henson's votes against the bipartisan infrastructure law in a U.S. House bill that would have capped the cost of insulin for all Americans at $35. Corkery um, uh, also said that supporting disability rights, LGBTQ rights, and, and equity for people of color are also big causes that are important to, to her campaign. Uh, she's a mother of three with one child that has a disability, another is gay, and another is biracial. Um, but to your question about is this race competitive? Um, the Cook Political Report rates Iowa's second district as solid Republican, meaning the race is not considered competitive and is not likely to become contested. Uh, Democrats have a slight advantage over Republicans in terms of the number of registered voters in the districts. No party voters, however, outnumber both registered Democrats and Republicans among the districts, roughly 550,000 voters. Um, as I mentioned, Cook Political Report rates this as an R plus four district. Um, Henson, you know, as an incumbent, also has a fundraising advantage. She raised more than $740,000 in the most recent uh, reporting period on the, the third quarter, which ended in September and has, I think, about $1.3 million cash on hand um, and has lapped up attention from Republican presidential candidates who headlined a fundraiser for her um, this summer. So Corker acknowledged that she's got an uphill battle and is likely not going to be able to outspend Henson, but said she feels that the time is right for an unconventional candidate and a, a, a political outsider um, calling herself a, a common Iowan who's worked an eight to five job and had to figure out how to put food on the table amid high inflation. Um, she said she's begun traveling around the district and spreading her message of building a more inclusive and supporting community for all members of the state, which she thinks will appeal to Iowans. Um, and again, as well as drawing attention to Henson's voting record, claiming that the Republican incumbent isn't representing Iowans best interests. Um, Hinton's campaign issued a statement welcoming Corkery into the race and claiming that she would be um, a rubber stamp for the, um, quote, radical Biden agenda of, of open borders, reckless spending and, and silencing parents. Um, the campaign said that it, it can't wait to contrast what it, it, it termed or called Corkery's, quote, extreme liberal views, uh, end quote, with, with Henson's um, uh, conservative results for Iowans. Yeah, you, um, I, and it occurs to me to ask, and I, maybe the answer isn't obvious because it took us this long to get one candidate, but if you, you know, we should note that this is just a Democrat entering the primary, there's still time for others to get in. Have you heard anything, Tom, about any other Democrats possibly getting in? Uh, I have not, um, to be yeah. honest. Um, that's not to say that there isn't and that there won't be another candidate. Um, but that said, as you mentioned, um, if somebody else is going to, you know, jump into the race, um, you know, it, it's already somewhat late in the game. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but I mean, we'll, we'll see. There's always, I guess, yeah. that possibility. Yeah. Okay. And we'll see how that plays out and if that tightens up at all, or if it, it kind of stays as uh, 
projected. Uh, Tom mentioned the um, voter registration numbers and especially those uh, no party ones. And and what the number crunchers, the elections folks will tell you is you you watch those groups and and they start to vote in patterns sometimes. And clearly those no pattern, no party voters in that district have been trending uh, Republican in recent elections. Well, and depending how things play out with the whole situation with the the House Speaker and the continued, um, you know, dysfunction and and, and impasse in in the House, um, you know, and and again, you know, the closer we get to the potential of government shutdown, and if that happens and materializes, um, I mean, it could quickly become a competitive race. And, you know, those no party voters um, could quickly become back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting. All right. Uh, one uh, other thing I wanted to hit on before we go this week. So we're talking about all these uh, 2024 elections, but there's 2023 elections uh, going on right now, folks. Um, we are in the early voting window, actually. You can cast a ballot right now uh, in this fall's municipal elections. So um, uh, city uh, government positions and, and uh, school boards. Uh, for example, um, Sarah and Jared, you guys, uh, even more so than the rest of us, are uh, tuned to, to the to the local level. Um, give us, uh, each of you, if you can, uh, tell us about one or two interesting election uh, races in your coverage areas. Sarah, we'll let you go first. Okay, yeah. So um, really, for us, Davenport being the third largest city in Iowa, um, and having a few more people running in this uh, election than in previous, uh, I think in 2021, there was one primary um, race that had a primary. And now in this time, there were there were five races that had candidates that were trying to uh, buy for the seat. So, but probably the most, and a lot of the interest in this year's municipal elections in Davenport really stemmed from the collapse of um, mm-hmm. the apartment building at 324 Main Street. I think that got a lot of people, you know, what is the city doing? What are, what kind, how do they operate? You know, people who may not have gotten involved in local government before coming to city council meetings and expressing their opinions or displeasure um, or compliments of the city government following that um, that national spotlight that was on the city. And um, so in particular, uh, the mayor's race, um, uh, folks familiar with state government may know um, uh, state representative Ken Crokin elected in 2022 um, as freshman legislator. He's running for mayor to challenge um, the current incumbent, Mike Matson, who has been mayor since 2019. Um, and so they both offer really different perspectives on how to lead Davenport, or excuse me, Iowa's third largest city. Um, Crokin, uh, he, like I said, announced following the collapse of the apartment building at 324 Main Street and really has said he would lead with um, more of a moral clarity reign in what he calls a dysfunctional um, city council and has called on the city administrator to resign um, following uh, what he says is a uh, lack of transparency and um, a report that on the collapse that didn't examine city policy in in the role of the collapse. So, um, and then obviously, and then the current mayor, Mike Matson, um, who people probably saw on national news following the collapse, he's, um, he's, he's obviously not calling on the city administrator to resign and, uh, and he's uh, sticking to things that 
infrastructure, um, uh, public safety funding, um, talking about ARPA investments that the city has made. And, um, and though he has said, he's also said that relationships he's built at the state and local levels would um, better advance Davenport and actually um, solve problems. Um, so that's really, that's probably the highest profile race. Um, another just interesting note um, in the city of Davenport in the past, let's see, in September, the city council voted to remove one of its members and um, over allegations of sexual harassment and um, being intoxicated at meetings and um, which is currently, he is filing suit against city of Davenport for wrongful removal and uh, he lost in the primary. So he will not advance to the November ballot, which is will be interesting um, what happens then if that affects his case in court because um, he they had asked for a temporary injunction to reinstate him to the city council, but that the judge hasn't hasn't ruled on that. Oh wow, that is interesting. Um, I'm just curious really quick, um, the the mayor's race, is your sense that will that be a straight um, referendum on the building collapse or is that too simple too simplifying it too much or what do you think voters will be taking more than just that into account? Yeah, I think that that's um, a little bit of a simplification of the race. I think voters often will vote on, uh, um, it, at least in Davenport, on street funding, crime. Um, and I think that and I think people disagree on, you know, the city. So, some people think, well, the city did responded in a crisis and they did the best that they could. And um, some people some other people are really critical. Um, Matson did uh, amass the most votes um, in the primary, in a okay. four-way primary. Um, so, you know, depending on who the voters for the other candidates, how they shake out, um, I think there are there are definitely people who uh, see Matson as somebody who is going to be less divisive than than Crokin and um, put more attention on on things like streets, infrastructure, sewers crime reduction and those kind of like bread and butter issues. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Jared, how about up in uh, Sioux city in Northwest Iowa? What are, what's an interesting race or two up your way? Well, um, our uh, mayor, the longest serving in uh, Sioux city history is running on a post. So there's not much exciting uh, <laughs> there um, for us. Uh, the Sioux city school board races are going to be the most uh, compelling. Um, we have a total of 11 candidates vying for five open seats um, and it's a seven member board and five of the seats are open because a number of board members have declined to run for reelection. Um, one of the most notable of those, I would say, is the race for there's an open um, two year seat. All the rest are four year seats. Um, and that race is between um, the incumbent, Dan Greenwell, who's the chair of the Sioux City School Board and can be uh, combative at times. And then um Simhar Gebrekidian, who works for the city of Sioux City as the community inclusion uh, inclusion liaison. So it's always interesting when you have a, a city employee running up against another, you know, employee of the city in one form or fashion. Um, and just since the start of the year or in the, in the past year or so, the districts had a few uh, different controversies we've reported about. The previous superintendent um, sued the district, and we've had plenty of stories about that. That's still ongoing. Uh, more recently, we had a parent uh, claiming that he'd been looked into by the FBI for speaking at um, school board meetings. 
Our reporting wasn't able to find evidence of that, but that involved members of the school board. And um, in the summer, the Sioux City School District was one of the districts that the account uh, Libs of TikTok uh, targeted for books that it had in its library that uh, they thought were um, explicit. So we've had a number of different, very kind of newsy things with the the school board in particular over this past year. Um, so I'll, I'll be interested to see what the level of interest is in these races, because, you know, off your elections like this don't necessarily uh, turn out a lot of people, but of anywhere in the city, the school board has kind of been the most um, like noteworthy and contentious uh, part of government this year, I would say. Barrett, yeah. are you seeing that there's a, a slate of pretty obvious like conservative candidates that are running as a group and then and then the non-conservative or kind of liberal anti, uh, you know, yeah, uh, candidates as well? Or is, is that how things are looking in Sioux City? It, as far as I've seen and our education reporter would know even better, that doesn't necessarily seem to be how neatly um, things are lining up. And actually, a, a few of the candidates are certainly more um, liberal than um, than conservative. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we we haven't necessarily seen as much of the the phenomenon there's been with other school districts. So a lot of like very conservative folks turning up at meetings and kind of you know raising a ruckus that way and that sort of thing. Yeah, sitting here as an Ankeny resident, um, ours very much have. It might not surprise you to hear if you follow the news in Iowa at all the last couple of years. How, what are they like in uh, Tom or Todd? Uh, are they are they pretty? I mean, they, it's they're nonpartisan elections, so they don't declare. But um, the, it, do the Cedar Rapids area school board races? Do either of you know? When we, Grace, if she was on, Grace King would know this better. But uh, are they kind of pretty clearly the liberal and conservative and or Democrat and Republican candidates? Well, I think for the Cedar Rapids school board, it's a little more mixed. There are, I believe, a couple of candidates that are that have been endorsed by Moms for Liberty. Uh, but there are incumbents also running, and it's it has they haven't had the friction there. Of course, I live in the Linmar district, Linmar, which yep. is famous for our immorality yep. across the nation. So um, you know, we're just indoctrinating kids left and right. That's that's what I do in my spare time. So uh, it's pretty cut divided here. We've got eight candidates running for four seats. Three of them have been endorsed by Moms for Liberty. A fourth candidate is. I think simpatico with them and her name appears on the sign that features all four of them as the, as the kind of the conservative slate. Then you've got four uh, sort of mainstream, two incumbents, including the school board president who it was endorsed by one Iowa. They're actually playing in school board races also. And uh, then some newcomers that are more of the kind of the typical mainstream candidates you get for school board that don't, aren't coming in with a, you know, with a very rigid ideological agenda. So yeah, it's uh, it's hard to tell what will happen. I mean, as has been mentioned, I mean, you never know what kind of turnout's gonna be. The city races here in Marion are, I don't even think there is a contested seat. And Cedar Rapids also has some city council races, but nothing hot. So yeah, it's pretty much all the school board stuff. Yeah, you said something that uh, set off an alarm bell in my head. Um, Todd, I, and I, I grabbed my phone. I have a text message from uh, One Iowa Action uh, talking about one of the school board uh, candidates in, in Ankeny. So, um, and I and and then it, I know there's a a pack that has formed to to support the conservative uh, uh, candidates. 
in, in that Ankeny school yeah. board. Like, like they're, they're funding the other. So it's, it's a, it's a <laughs> quite the time to be in politics. Uh, so if anything interesting happens in those races, well, we'll cover that here too. Uh, all politics are local. So we'll, we'll, we'll touch on those as well in future episodes, but that's it for this edition of on Iowa politics. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts. And you can also catch the podcast each week on your preferred Gazette or lean newspaper website. Now that you've listened to the on Iowa politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the on Iowa politics newsletter where every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that free newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Mason City Globe Gazette, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Sioux City Journal. Porch Builder will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For all our... Hawkeye fans and otherwise, Tom Barton, Caleb McCullough, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and our producer, Stephen Colbert. I'm a despondent Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening.
protect and serve Not stealing to rob Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.